Welcome to the It Takes Guts podcast, brought to you by the American Foregut Society. I'm Dr. Caitlin Houghton from USC. And I'm Pratik Sharma from Kansas City. We are so excited to be here with the program organizers from the AFS uh, meeting that just happened Orlando in Orlando. We've got Dr. Tom Watson and Dr. Prakash Gowali. Welcome. Thank you, Caitlin and Pratik. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, great. Thanks, uh, both Prakash and Tom, for joining us on this. I'd just like to get started, and perhaps, Prakash, if I could start with you, is what a wonderful first-ever flip course. So tell us a little bit about it. What were the take-home messages uh, from that course? You're right. It was quite a wonderful event. And we were so excited that there were uh, 60 plus in attendance on the last morning of the uh, meeting. This was after the annual program ended. So when we were talking about putting uh, a flip course together, uh, we had thought that there would be some excitement, but we weren't prepared for how much collaborative interest there was between gastroenterologists and foregut surgeons. Uh, regarding the course. And there was so much give and take because we had speakers from both the gastroenterology side, the leaders in the field, Dusty Carlson, and then we had um, the surgeons. Mike Ujiki was there and there were people participating from the audience. I think in the end, what we came together with is that this is a technology that has a tremendous impact on both sides of the equation, both on the gastroenterology side and on the surgical side for for different reasons. On the GI side, we use it as a diagnostic tool. On the surgical side, the the biggest use seems to be in tailoring intervention in the esophagus. And uh, both sides use it for follow-up of adequacy of uh, esophageal intervention. So it was a very, very exciting morning and more to come. Well, it was, end of flip was such a um, strong, you know, there were so many uh, talks that included it because it was, it is such a great tool on both the surgical side and the gastroenterology side. And, you know, I think we're just kind of scratching the surface with where that's going to help really tailor our, tailor our surgeries in the future and what we can do with it for diagnostic tools. So I'm really excited to see kind of where Endoflip kind of lands and where it takes us next. Um, Tom, the next one of the other really big topics I felt uh, that we discussed at the meeting was Barrett's esophagus and all the new screening tools um, that are out there have you had any experience with those and how do you think that might kind of change our our ability to detect earlier and maybe prevent esophageal cancer thanks caitlin you know obviously we haven't moved the bar much as a profession on barrett's esophagus in a long time and so the need for new tools new ways to diagnose barrett's new ways to diagnose dysplasia early on and predict cancer are really the holy grail and so it's exciting to see industry coming out with new tools to help us with that. And there was a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of discussion at the meeting about some of these things. So I think we're at the beginning of this in in terms of 
clinical applicability in use in everyday practice. So I'm still new to this, as are, I think, most of us. But it's exciting. We definitely have to be doing something. We can't continue to think the ways we have in the past because we're stuck. And, and so uh, I, I think it's great that this kind of meeting introduces these new possibilities. No, great points, uh, Tom. And I, I think you're, you're spot on uh, that, uh, you know, we have to be the leaders in this field of innovation and technology and how we can help our patients you know, right from screening to surveillance and a lot of enthusiasm, Caitlin, as you mentioned, uh, about these new tools and uh, techniques. And then also, again, the whole theme about how can we come together as a profession and as a society uh, to provide the best care. Prakash, I mean, what did you take away from, uh, for example, what patients should we be considering for anti-reflux surgery uh, when they're undergoing endoscopic therapy. Any thoughts on that, Prakash? I think that is a great area for collaboration between the two, uh, two uh, groups, the gastroenterologists and the surgeons. And I think with the emerging uh, technologies that are coming out for endoluminal uh, treatment, uh, I, I think eventually uh, deciding what kinds of patients would absolutely need an approach from the abdomen versus uh, what kinds of patients could we manage from within, or even what kinds of patients could we manage with, with uh, lesser invasive uh, techniques like, uh, like the uh, magnetic sphincter augmentation. These were all discussions that were uh, you know, robust with a lot of give and take. There is no other society that has both stakeholders, the gastroenterologists and the surgeons in the same room, trying to come up with a better way of managing these patients. And that, to me, was the most exciting part uh, of that element of the discussion. Yeah, um, I'm, I really think you're right. Um, this is the strength of AFS is that we come together to have these discussions because in the past, you know, we were both trying to do the best for our patients with the tools that we had, but they were separate tools. The gastroenterologist had a certain set of tools. The surgeons had a certain set of tools. And by coming together, I think we really are going to move the bar. And I, it's just really exciting to be in those discussions at the meeting. And you guys, Barrett's esophagus and, and kind of the prevention of esophageal cancer is one of those that incorporates these discussions so, so well. And it's such an important topic. Tom, how have you been... Um, kind of managing Barrett's and kind of what was your take on on the Barrett's um, conversation and yeah so first of all I want to answer a little bit Pratik's question about uh, anti-reflux surgery and Barrett's ablation and Christy Dunst gave this talk and it was entitled when should anti-reflux surgery be considered after Barrett's ablation and as she pointed out the word when has two connotations one being what are the indications for it and the other one is timing relative to ablation. And I, and I think she did a really nice job addressing those two uses of the word when. And for me, a lot of people with Barrett's, particularly long segment Barrett's, have difficult to control reflux symptoms. And so in those situ uh, situations, particularly for non-dysplastic Barrett's, I'd like to see anti-reflux surgery be offered early on. I think a lot earlier than is commonly the place because people can benefit from it from a symptom standpoint. Then the other question is for dysplastic Barrett's when it's being ablated. Um, uh, when in the in the course of ablation, do you hop in there and commit somebody to an anti-reflux operation, realizing that if they fail ablation, they might end up with an esophagectomy or 
down the road. And I think that's of some controversy and I think needs to be individualized. A lot of people are waiting a year or so after the ablation. But to me, these are some of the interesting points that are for discussion and the advantage of a society like this where we can get up in open forum and discuss these things. Thanks, Tom. That's really good. Now, just moving on uh, to, you know, the Hill grade. And, you know, this has been an area of interest of mine looking at endoscopic therapies for reflux. And we've always struggled to find the right patients who would be candidates for endoscopic anti-reflux therapies. But of course, that's just my interest. But the Hill grade obviously goes beyond that, which is takes into consideration, uh, you know, the anatomy and how good is that flap valve there. So, so Prakash, a lot of interest from the society on redefining uh, this area or this anatomy and stuff. So can you give us some insights on this about what was presented at the meeting? I think the, the leadership role that the AFS is taking on regarding the esophagogastric junction uh, assessment and endoscopy is, is poised to become a very important element of how we manage uh, these patients, how we evaluate and manage these patients in the future. Because uh, Nin's talk um, on the uh, Saturday afternoon was spot on in, in highlighting all the setbacks and all the shortcomings of the Hill grade, where uh, you know different elements that have different pathophysiology and different consequences could potentially be lumped into the same grade. So the new uh, AFS grade um, the grading system was decided uh, with a very robust committee that included both gastroenterologists, senior gastroenterologists, and surgeons. And uh, obviously, this has to be uh, tested and compared against the Hill grade, but uh, it has potential to allow better identification of uh, patients who um, can uh, withstand and, and do well with endoluminal therapies versus those who absolutely cannot and should not be uh, taken up for endoluminal therapies. So I think from that standpoint, this is a starting point of a whole series of uh, research uh, uh, endeavors, both prospective and retrospective, that in my uh, opinion will lead to a much better uh, evaluation system that will guide us in the future. I'm going to jump in for a minute for our listeners who weren't at the meeting just to describe what the AFS hiatus grade is. Um, it takes into account um, three, three measures. So the length or the um, cranial caudal length of the hiatal hernia. You also measure the diameter or the, um, between the crural muscles. So with provocative movements of the uh, hiatus. So um, measuring how many scopes can fit uh, in through the esophagus, and then also whether there's a flat valve present or not. So there's actually, they broke down the hill grade into three components, which will each be um, measured and uh, graded separately to come up with one grade. Is that, did I do it justice, Dr. Uh, Tom Watson, Tom? Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I think uh, having used the Hill grade for my whole career, I, I, it seems to me that this new AFS classification is going to be much more objective and much more reproducible than the old Hill grade. So it seems to me a, a clear improvement. But we need more data, as Prakash alluded to, to the clinical implications of the different grades. 
and, and, and how that helps us in clinical decision-making. But I think it's a step in the right direction that's that we're all at least uh, speaking the same language and coming up with the same nomenclature. Absolutely. Thanks, Tom. I think I think you're absolutely right. So, uh, you know, I can foresee several areas where this could be, you know, used uh, clinically. So uh, just to, you know, wrap up this uh, conversation towards the end that we are having with uh, Tom and Prakash, the co-directors of the recently concluded successful AFS uh, meeting in Orlando. Uh, it's uh, Caitlin and Pratik who are talking to them. Is uh, any final thoughts uh, from both of you on, uh, you know, the whole concept of the society and the meeting about better together, uh, you know, which is obviously ultimately the goal is for us to provide the best care in a collaborative fashion for our patients. So, uh, uh, Tom, I'm going to start with you first and then hand it over to Prakash and uh, sort of just get your thoughts around this uh, whole idea. Thank you, Pratik. And to me, that's the essence of this meeting and what makes it special. It's the spirit and it's the collaboration of bringing gastroenterologists and surgeons together. And I got to say, I, I really felt something in the air there uh, that was special that I hadn't felt at a lot of meetings in the past. And it has to do with just that. And uh, you know, it, there's, I, I'm always pleasantly surprised that, I, that there's an absence of turf wars that everyone's out there throwing out best ideas. And it's that kind of, it's the form and the size of this meeting that facilitates all of that. So to me, that's a testament to the founders of society and those who've set the tone for the meetings. And hopefully we can, can continue to carry that on in the future. And I would say that uh, seeing leaders from the surgical side and the GI side together on the same podium, uh, exchanging ideas actually inspires the audience. And we are already seeing results. There is nothing else like it. And I think uh, the U Europeans are beginning to recognize this. Our European colleagues from, um, uh, from the European Foregut Society who are there, this concept forwards in Europe. And eventually, I think this is going to be a very collaborative environment. My concept about, about the whole thing is that the, the collaborative environment that we projected with uh, contributing ideas, uh, engaging each other and coming up with better solutions, that was very inspiring for the audience. And uh, the, the, the whole inspiration element is already working because we've had lots of requests for uh, participation in uh, AFS societies, people who have come up to us and said, uh, this is about the best, uh, best interaction I've ever heard in, uh, within this area. You know, so, uh, you know, the, the whole concept is actually um, growing because we had colleagues from the European Foregut Society come over. They're going to take this further in Europe. Okay, well, thanks, Prakash and uh, Tom. Uh, Caitlin, uh, you want to sum this up and wrap up today's podcast? It was just such an honor to be here with um, both Tom, Dr. Tom Watson and Dr. Prakash Gowali. The meeting was so inspirational. Like you said, I think both gastroenterologists and surgeons came out of that meeting feeling like, A, we can do better, and B, that collaboration really is the way to go. And I am very enthusiastic about the, what the next year holds. Please, if you're listening and you want to get involved, reach out um, at the AmericanForgutSociety.org. You'll find email contacts there. And I'm Dr. Caitlin Houghton. I'm Pratik Sharma. And we'd like to close this out. Thank you for joining us for It Takes Guts.